Father God, I pray that you would be with this team that's serving at the Taste of Durango. Um, thankful for their willingness to get out and to put their faith into action. And Father, I pray that our community would begin to see more and more just this uh, radical faith, this, this faith from, from the people that go out from this place, the people that go out from Grace Church. They would see this love. They would see this light that they are drawn to. And they would uh, be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help our team to just serve. We're not there to preach. We're not there to try to, uh, you know, uh, pass out tracts. We're there simply to serve. And Lord, we know that's how you came to earth, Jesus. You came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. And Father, I pray that we would serve well. And I pray that this team would also have fun, that they would enjoy their time and uh, just bless their experience now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in week three of our leadership series called The Summit. And over the past two weeks, we've been talking about the idea, we've been using the analogy of those who climb Mount Everest and what it takes to get to the summit, what it takes to get to the top of that incredible mountain. We've talked over the last two weeks about making the decision to summit. First of all, people have to decide. They have to decide, I'm going to get to that peak. Not very many people have done it. I'm going to be one of those people. I'm going to get to the peak of that summit. They have to make a decision. And then last Sunday, we talked about making plans for the summit. They have to make some plans to get to the top of that mountain. First, people have to make the decision to climb Mount Everest, and then they have to make some plans to get to the top of that incredible mountain. And once they've made the decision, and once they've made some plans... Now they have to get equipped. They have to get equipped for the journey ahead. We've already talked about the training that's involved uh, that an individual has to go through to get to the summit of that mountain. We've talked about the money that it's going to take to get to the top of the mountain. Remember, a permit to climb Mount Everest is anywhere between four dollars and $10,000. Just to get the permit to be able to get on that mountain costs a lot of money. But you're also going to need to be equipped. You have to get equipped for the climb. And packing light for that trek is not an option. Let me share with you just a couple things that you're going to need for the two-month trek up Mount Everest. First of all, you're, you're going to need uh, frost-proof clubbing boots. Okay? You're going to need two sets of thermal-based layers. You're going to need down pants and a parka with a hood. You're going to need a half a dozen pairs of socks and bandanas and two wool or fleece hats, a sun visor. You're going to need two pairs of synthetic gloves or Gore-Tex mitts. Um, you're going to need glacier glasses. You need a sleeping bag that's rated negative 300 degrees below Fahrenheit. You're going to need a, a backpack, a day pack, a harness, an ice axe, a headlamp. Uh, you're going to need carabiners. You're going to need repel device ski poles, and altimeter. You're going to need five to seven oxygen canisters, and you're going to need lots of food because your body will burn approximately 6,000 calories a day. And this is just the short list of what you need for that climb. You have to get properly equipped in order to make it to the summit of that mountain. And so it is, church, so it is on the spiritual trek. 
getting properly equipped is necessary for the spiritual summit. And you know what? God uses leaders to equip His people. Consider these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He said, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Verse 12. Their responsibility. Okay, he's speaking of us as pastors. Our responsibility, my job, is to equip. Equip means to furnish with intellectual, emotional, and at times even physical resources. We are to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. The main responsibility of the church is to equip you to do His work to build up the church. Verse 13 says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So this is a continual process. This process is always going. It's an ongoing thing for the church to build you up, to equip you for the work of ministry. And at Grace Church, every member is a minister. Every single one of us who love and have asked Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, we are all ministers. This past Wednesday night, all the students in our youth ministry here at Grace Church were ministers. They were all ministers this past Wednesday night. It was incredible. There was a baseball game at Folsom Park just down the road here, down Florida. And Collision Student Ministries set up the Love This Town tent and they served all the spectators at the baseball game popcorn and snow cones. And they did it for free. They didn't, didn't charge a thing. And we heard some incredible and very funny comments from the people that were just getting popcorn and snow cones for free. One lady said, or she asked, um, are, are you guys doing a fundraiser? And uh, one of the youth leaders said, no, we're, we're just serving. And she responded by asking, why are you being so nice? <laughs> like, what is the deal here? What's, what's the motive behind why I'm getting this free popcorn? What do you want from me? One little boy asked one of our youth volunteers, how can you afford to give snow cones away for free? And Katie said, well, snow is ice, and ice is water, and water's pretty cheap. And uh, the little boy just laughed and kept licking his snow cone. This was, I think, by far the, the best. When another man realized that his snow cone and his popcorn was free, he said, this is effing awesome! Okay? Yeah, he dropped the F-bomb at the park, that's how good our popcorn is. Okay, It makes people start swearing. Every member is a minister. The youth at Grace are ministers. What does equipping involve? Let me ask, how does the church equip you to take the gospel to our community, to our world? How do you get equipped in the church. How does that happen? 
first off, you have to be supplied with the right equipment, the right supplies. And and let's just be very clear from the get-go, it all starts with Jesus Christ. Okay, it all starts with Jesus. Trying to summit the spiritual mountain without Jesus is like trying to summit Everest with no clothes on. Okay? It's, it doesn't work, and it's going to be extremely painful. Extremely. It all starts with Jesus. You have to get in, and if you want to summit, you have to be in Christ. And the way you get in is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one gets to the Father except they come through me. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? That's where it begins. Being equipped spiritually means you also have to be trained. You have to grow up in your faith. You have to grow up. It starts with the helmet of salvation, and you have to be equipped with salvation. It begins with Jesus. But then you need some training to learn how to use your sword. The Word of God is referred to as a sword. Do you know how to use the Word of God? It's a weapon. And it can, be, it can cause all kinds of damage, or it can bring about great good. You need to be properly equipped. You need to be trained on how to use your shield. The Bible calls faith a shield. Do you know how to use the shield of faith? Do you know how to defend yourself when life just comes crashing down on you? You need to be properly equipped for the journey ahead so you won't be destroyed. You need to grow up in your faith, and God uses leaders. He uses leaders to equip His people. Equipping also means that you have to go out. You have to go out from this place. You have to go out from here, and you have to put what you've learned into practice. You have to begin to practice your faith. You have to begin to live it out. God never intended for His church to be a holy huddle. He wants His people to go. The job of the church is to provide you with opportunities to put your training into practice. And and you know, the ministry of Love This Town is a great example. This is a go-out ministry, and it provides you with great opportunities to serve in our community. And you know what? It's fun. You're probably going to go to Taste of Durango anyways. So why not serve, right? It's fun. You're with other believers, and it's a great way to get out there and to show the love of God to our community. It's a great way to wash the feet of our community. You know, there will be times as a church that we go out as an entire church body. We do it together. We go after one cause. And there will be times that you will be encouraged. You will be provoked. You will be prodded. You will be pushed to go out individually, to go out to your family, to maybe go out to an elderly person who lives down the street and just serve and to help them grocery shop or whatever it may be, to go out to your coworkers, to go out to your friends. Equipping involves sending you out. You have to be sent out to be properly equipped. I want you to watch this morning a it's a five minute video about Pro, uh, Pastor Robert uh, Galinas. He's actually the pastor of Colorado Community Church, and it's up in Denver, uh, which is only six and a half hours, or six, depending on how fast you drive. Um, But God has led this pastor, Pastor Galinas, to his one thing. 
That's the one thing we've been talking about this week, is what is your one thing that God just stirs you, and, and you can't get off your heart, you can't get off your mind. God led uh, Pastor Galenus to his one thing through his own life experiences. And so I want you to watch this video, and I pray that it's a blessing to you this morning. So check this out. Mother Cabrini is one of my favorite places to go. Seeing that statue of Jesus, looking out over the city that I love and the city that, that Jesus loves. And when I'm up there, I pray for my family, I pray for friends. But then I also look at that, that statue of Jesus where he's revealing his heart. And as he does, you know, we oftentimes think of asking Jesus into our heart. But what if he's asking us to enter into his, into things that are close to him? His love and his mercy, his grace, but also his heart for orphans. I was raised by my grandmother, never knew my father, and my mom was absent for many years of my life. Because she didn't make that much money, we were constantly being evicted, and so we were moving from house to house, sometimes every few months. With all the moving around, this church was the one constant in my life. And this is the place that my grandmother made sure I went to since before kindergarten. And this is the place where, when I was nine years old, a Sunday school teacher asked what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. And I didn't have the answer, so she explained it to me. And it was here that she led me to, to give my life to Christ and then brought me out to my grandmother and told her. And then two weeks later, I'm in the second worship service ever, and I'm being baptized. And that was the moment where something happened for me because... Because when, when you're being baptized, they say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that pastor said, Father, and I didn't know my dad. And so I was wanted a dad, and, and um, so I got a dad. And then um, so I asked my grandmother for a Bible, and she gave me a Bible. And, and I, I went looking for a small, short book in the Bible, and the first book I found with five chapters was James. And I started reading through that. That means I was nine years old when I first read that verse, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, cares for orphans in their distress. I'm not sure exactly when I began to realize that what God was doing in my past was connected with what God was doing in my future. When I was nine years old and got that first Bible and read James chapter 1, verse 27, I didn't know that was connected to the family that God was going to have for my wife and I. Our first child we had biologically, and then we started building our family through adoption. We became certified as foster and adoptive parents, and we got a phone call. And you can bring her home. She's less than a day old, and that became our daughter, Kia. Got another phone call. He's 10 months old. You can bring him home. He became our son, Gabriel. Got another phone call. He's three months old. You can bring him home, and that became our son, James. And then next thing I know, we're on a plane to Ethiopia bringing home our daughter and our son, Mehret and Temeskin. What became clear to us is that what God was doing with our family is something he was doing in his larger family as well, that he was waking up the bride of Christ in our city and across this nation when it came to the cry of orphans. So I went to our lieutenant governor at the time, Lieutenant Governor Norton, and I remember sitting down with her saying, I I've done the math. There are 
uh, almost 900 children who are legally free in the foster care system. There are 1,500 churches in the Denver metro area. If every church took one child, you'd have a waiting list of families, but not a waiting list of children. And so I made her a promise that day. I said, you can count on us. We will start something that will result in at least 10% of these children finding forever families. And then I went back to my home congregation. I said, guess what I promised you're going to do? Colorado Community Church has been around 20 years. It's this wonderful, vibrant gathering uh, that is multicultural. This church is about how do you wash the feet of the city? People began to step up, some fostering, some adopting, others providing wraparound support. And something happened. Something took off. We, we launched this organization called Project 127, and we started to see dozens of churches step on board. It has now become this national model, inspiring ministries in Seattle and, and in D.C. and in Arizona and New York and Wisconsin. And so Colorado has now become a place where there are families waiting for children, and we are going to continue to work tirelessly until there's a family waiting for every single child. It's because as I read the scriptures, caring for orphans is as natural as reading our Bibles and praying. We also reach out to those who are in distress. And for me, it just causes me to sit back and say, only God, only God could do these kinds of things. It puts me in awe of God. It allows me to move forward to the front of my seat because I'm wondering, what is he doing in my life today that I'm going to need in 10 years? I don't know, but I can't wait to see. I have to admit, it's hard for me not to just weep after watching that video. Because it just reminds me that God uses everything to equip us. He even uses our own life experiences. He used his life experiences to prepare him for what his one thing was going to be. You know, church, I have to remind us that we, we don't come to church to receive goods and services. As Christians, we are not here to con consume. We are here to create, to reconcile the lost to Christ. We are here to be a conduit through which God can redeem the lost. The job of the church is to create disciples, not consumers. I'm giving my life to the fulfillment of of making disciples, and I would love to have you help me. But even if you don't, I'm going to do what God has called us to do to make disciples of Jesus. And by God's grace, I fully intend to pursue the vision God has entrusted to me, no matter what, no matter who comes, no matter who goes. With the fiercest determination, church, I'm going to insist that Grace Church always be a place where the gospel is preached, where the lost can be found, a place where believers are equipped and prepared for ministry, a church that serves the poor, a church and a place where the lonely can be enfolded into the community of believers, and a place where God gets the credit for all of it. And that brings me to the third point of my sermon this morning. Those who get equipped have to be devoted. They have to be devoted. You're not going to make it to the top of Everest if you're not devoted. Those who summit have to be devoted. In the book of Acts, God launched this thing called the church. These little redemptive communities where the 
lost people get found and found people grow up and where lonely people find community, where rich people help the poor, where the hands and feet of Jesus are made visible. Jesus says, the church is my body, my presence in the world, and the Holy Spirit is going to make it all happen by gifting each and every believer in different ways. God didn't ask his redeemed children to to take on the global challenge of making disciples by themselves. He didn't send them out as solo acts trying to transform a needy world. Rather, his plan was to draw redeemed individuals together into supernaturally empowered communities called churches. And together, their individual talents and their abilities would be multiplied a hundred times over. The Holy Spirit moved in this first ever faith community in downtown Jerusalem. And He used that little community to turn the world upside down. Listen to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. This is the first ever little faith community. And it says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In my view, the most powerful word in that verse is the word devoted. And I want to speak just a moment on that word, devoted. You may ask, you know, what is so important about that word? What's the big deal? Gang, let me just say, without devotion, a church is powerless. It's helpless and it's hopeless. We've all seen it. We all know of a church that is slowly dying and we wonder, why is it dying? Why is that church dying? Is the Bible no longer true? Did the Holy Spirit just disappear? Why is that church dying? It's dying because the people are not fully devoted to God. They're not devoted to that church. So those churches, they get sick and they begin to die. We've all seen this. And let me ask you, did God want these churches to die? No. He didn't want these churches to die. But they died for one reason. The members lost their devotion to God. They lost their devotion to that church. And it got sicker and it got sicker until it died. And now... There's a for sale sign on the front lawn. Churches that are filled with half-hearted, low-passion, uncommitted people don't even make a dent in their own community, let alone the world. People who lack devotion will never step up and serve the poor or serve in some area of the church. People who lack devotion won't encourage the faint-hearted who need their support. They won't share their faith boldly. They won't invest their resources. Let's face it. Without the power of devotion in the church, that church will die. That church's vision is a pipe dream. Its potential is precisely zero. But, can I say, but, when all the members of the church are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they have supernatural levels of devotion to Christ and to His bride, the church, the church is unstoppable. 
Its potential is unlimited. Its vision is achievable. And its future is bright. Friends, I I need you to listen very, very closely to this. There is no equipping without your devotion. You cannot be equipped for the climb ahead without being devoted. Are you devoted to the cause? Acts 2.42 says members of that church were totally devoted. They devoted themselves. When the church assembled for worship and for prayer and for communion and fellowship and especially for the teaching of God's Word, being fully engaged in that assembly, in that gathering, was the highest priority in the lives of those early believers. The highest priority. They wouldn't miss a gathering if you held a gun to their head. Is our weekly gathering a priority for you? I'm just asking. Is it the first thing you put in ink on your monthly calendar? You say everything else has to be pushed aside. I'm going to worship at the weekly gathering. I'm going to sing with my brothers and sisters. We're going to worship God. We're going to get Bible teaching. We're going to participate in great fellowship. Is it a priority to you? How is your devotion when it comes to assembling together? There's no equipping without devotion. Verse 45 in Acts chapter 2, it says these devoted people, they were, they were out of their minds devoted. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were fully devoting their resources to the cause. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. People in the first church couldn't stand the idea of waiting seven days until they were able to hang out again. They would say, I can't go seven days without fellowship. Man, I would feel so lonely. I would feel so disconnected with my church. So with no pastor having to badger them, they would simply invite each other over to dinner. They would invite each other into each other's homes, and they would talk about what the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives and in their marriages and in their parenting and in their workplace. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you will have a genuine desire between Sundays to fellowship with other believers. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that. People were being redeemed on a daily basis. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like this? Something supernatural was going on there every single day. But so much of it, church, comes back to that little phrase in verse 42. And they devoted themselves. As I said earlier, whenever the people in the church are void of devotion, the church is going to die. Conversely, When people in the church demonstrate high levels of devotion, nothing can stop the church. And the hearts of the individuals throughout the week pulsate with the life and the activity of the Holy Spirit's power. Every day 
is an adventure. What's the Spirit going to do this week? To get equipped for the summit, you have to be devoted. And when the church is fully equipped, Jesus is glorified. Mountains are going to be summited. Lives are going to be changed. The gospel is going to be lived out. And La Plata County is going to benefit greatly when the church is fully equipped. I want to read the benefits that come when we are fully equipped. And the, the Apostle Paul sums it up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And he does an excellent job here. And this is what happens when we are fully equipped. When we are fully equipped, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. In closing, let me ask you, when you think of God the Father, does God the Father have high levels of devotion toward you? Or does He have low level of devotion toward you? You know, the second He saw your need, what did God the Father do? He took what was most costly to him, what was most precious, what was most necessary to meet your need. He took Christ, his only son, and he said, I'm going to send him to the world as an atoning sacrifice. Church, you do not worship a low devotion God. You worship a God who is totally devoted to you. What about Jesus Christ? Well, He obeys the Father. He comes to earth. He serves tirelessly. And when it comes time to lay down His life, He does so willingly. Jesus is fully devoted to you. And then we have the Holy Spirit. He comes and He says, I will indwell you and I will work inside of you to help you grow and I will give you supernatural power to help you face stuff, to empower you, to lead you, so that you can live an exciting, adventuresome life and an impactful life. The Holy Spirit did not make a low devotion commitment to you when He arrived. And I have to say, I, I have to watch my spirit when I say this. But it makes me crazy makes me crazy. When people who claim to be Christ followers are constantly in a low devotion state. How does that work? I, I don't get it. If we had a low devotion God, I would be with you. I would understand. But we don't. So I just remind you, you, you may have to die to some stuff to make sure you're totally devoted to God in the ways that the Scripture describes. In order to get equipped,
equip, church, for the climb ahead. In order to summit, you have to be devoted. What are you intentionally doing to get equipped, to get prepared? What are you doing? Are you devoted? I just pray that you would take that devotion, that devoted volume, and you would crank it up. And just watch how God works through your life. Watch how God works through your family. And ultimately, watch how God works through your church. I'm going to close in prayer, and then Pastor Chris is going to come and give some updates and some closing remarks. Father God, we recognize afresh your total devotion to us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there is no further way that you could prove your devotion to us. You have done and said everything necessary for us to be totally convinced of this. And now in return, which the Scripture says is a reasonable sacrifice, it's reasonable, in return we offer our lives back to You, fully devoted to You, to Your purposes, and to Your church in this world. I pray You would help us to do that by the power of Your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.